next guest was part of Ulster's European Cup winning side in 1999. This was the greatest feat in Ulster rugby history, achieved by a squad made up of a mixture of full-time and part-time players. Indeed, his career straddled both amateurism and the professional era. He played for Ulster to the end of the 2002-2003 season, and we discuss his transition out of the game, becoming a solicitor specialising in employment law with Miller McCall Wiley. As you probably already know, my next guest is the legend Jan Cunningham. Really enjoyed speaking to Jan, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. It's good to speak to guys like yourself, to, uh, reminisce about sort of uh, your playing career and, and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, also, what like, I can remember. <laughs> I know, and to talk a wee bit about like the transition out of the game as well. So I'm sort of interested, yeah. like, number one, how people get into it, and particularly that sort of transition between amateurism and professionalism, and people yeah. who have experienced that to see. Because again, I started watching, you know, at my my sort of first rugby memory was probably the build up to the '99 final, like so. And so I was sort of by the time I started watching, it was all fairly professional. So um, <laughs> well, it, it, it might have looked like that from the outside. It certainly, <laughs> was, it certainly didn't feel like that on the inside. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and I think, I mean, that would have been the process of, I suppose I, I'd started playing for Ulster when it was still fully amateur. Yeah. And I was there during that transition period, you know, from rugby going from fully amateur, certainly in Ireland anyway, um, to being fully professional. It, it didn't happen overnight, Peter, I suppose, yeah, yeah. is the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, there's a number of stories about sort of how we trained that particular year. But I mean, again, at that stage, the 99 European Cup winning year, the majority of players would have been professional, but there were still quite a lot of guys in the squad here amateur. Yeah, yeah. And we were sort of basing our training around the amateur guys' working patterns. Yeah. And it just, we just found it wasn't working at all. And, and we then just said, right, if you want to play, you have to sort of comply with our sort of the professional players' um, uh, training regime. And to be fair, I mean, I, I sort of look back on it now. You know, I look back on it now, I look at it completely differently at the time. As a professional player, you're just inherently selfish. <laughs> you just go, they should all just adapt and return whenever we're training. Now, yeah. as, an, as an employer myself, I'm going, I would never let somebody go away and tra- train with Ulster during the day. So, I mean, yeah. I think a lot of those guys, like the likes of Derek Topping, Stephen McKenty, Richard Maggie, Guy Stuart Sturdy Duncan, who weren't full time players, their employers were very, very reasonable. You know, yeah. to let them to let them come and train, and if they hadn't done and we hadn't switched that sort of training, we'd have probably never won the the European Cup. But that was an integral yeah. sort of, I, I suppose, an integral part of or one of the building blocks towards sort of getting towards the final and winning it that year. Yeah, and just to, just to go back a bit, so we'll talk a wee bit about sort of the build up to to ninety nine, which I suppose is the real. A huge moment in your career but yeah. I want to find out a wee bit more about how you, you first developed your passion for rugby and obviously you've got two brothers who played to a good level as well yeah. is it just the two brothers you have yeah yes it's just the two two, Peter, two, yeah. two brothers so I'm always interested there seems to be an enormous number especially in Ulster at the minute enormous number of sporting families like guys yeah. who and whatever it is 
partly partly genetic maybe, but I'd say largely it's down to the way you're brought up and um, just being out in the garden and playing all the yeah. time. What for you, like what got you into rugby? How important was it to have two brothers to sort of mess around with and, and play yeah. in the garden? Well, well I, th- I think, I mean, first of all, you know, I, I think w- w- with anybody, it's a combination of your school and your parents. Um, yeah. And I was very, very lucky in both respects and that the primary school I went to was very, very focused in sport to, to a degree that maybe, you know, primary schools wouldn't be now. So you got to play, I mean, you got to play everything. So you play, mm. you know, football, cricket, rugby, soccer, you know, the, 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 the whole, you know, hockey as well, the whole caboodle. So you played, you were given the opportunity to play every sport. And then I suppose my parents were both very sporty. Um, my mum would have played a lot of sport and still plays, you know, a lot of golf and tennis. And dad would have been more down the rugby and cricket line. Dad was a very, very good cricketer, but also a reasonably handy rugby player. And he would have, uh, I suppose, it would, I wouldn't be wrong to say he made us play rugby, but he certainly encouraged our rugby, you know, career. So yeah. myself and Ross, who's a year younger than me, and Bryn, who's two years younger than Ross, the three of us obviously all played through school. I had played at Banker Grammar School, which at that stage, maybe fallen away a wee bit now, Peter, but certainly at that stage, you know, during the period of time we were at school, Banger would have been one of the best, you know, rugby schools. Yeah. So you, you, you had very good, you know, coaching in school as well, and that obviously helped massively. So you were being encouraged at home, and you were being encouraged at school and getting a, a you know, a, a good degree of you know, coaching, um, yeah. it was a good level of coaching as well. So that, I mean, that, that obviously helped massively. Funny, I think particularly for Bryn, because say Ross and I were a year apart, Ross is a year younger than me, and then Bryn was two years younger than Ross. So I never got the chance to play with Bryn at school, because whenever I was my last year at school, Bryn would have been medallion. Yeah. Um, Ross was lower, so, so I played a good bit of rugby with Ross at school. But I think when you when you're knocking about outside of school, the, the fact that Bryn was a wee bit younger probably toughened him up <laughs> a fair wee bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I mean, Bryn was never the biggest guy in the world, but probably from an early age because he was playing with us in the back garden. He was smaller. He, he had to learn how to sort of get out of trouble reasonably, <laughs> reasonably well, <laughs> which he managed to do successfully throughout his career. So I mean, I think definitely I could see how for Bryn. You know, having two older brothers both playing rugby certainly, you know, helped him along. Um, and again, for me, it was great. Yeah, because you say your dad and your mum were encouraging you. The, the school was a very sporty school um, with a big sort of focus on rugby. And then, you know, the, the three of us could knock about in the back garden and go down to the park as well. So, yeah, I mean, listen, to be fair, Peter, I couldn't have had a better sort yeah. of opportunity, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, obviously there was a time, so your Bangor Grammar team did pretty well in the Schools Cup. There must have been a time when you thought, I well, maybe not, I'll make this into a career, because that maybe that wasn't on the horizon at all. But there must have been a point where you realised I could I could make a real go of this and play for Ulster and go on to do great things in rugby. Was there a moment where you sort of thought, I'm standing out here, it's probably a hard one to answer, but was there a bit, was there, was there a moment where you thought, I could actually go some distance with this rugby thing. Yeah, I think I think they're coming through school. I, I played for I played for Ulster schools in lower six, um, and just missed out on getting on the Irish schools tour in New Zealand that year. 
and that was a real. I really wanted to go on that tour, and that was a big to me a big setback, not getting on it. Um, and then the next year, I ended up being captain of Ulster Schools and then playing for the Black Friars Schools, and we won the Triple Crown that year. Um, so we beat Scotland reasonably well. I think Wales was tight enough, and then beat them at, at Ravenhill. I think even at that stage, I suppose, you know. Captaining Ulster schools and then also playing for our schools, but but winning that triple crown, you sort of thought, well, listen, you know, there's no reason why you can't go on and compete with these people, you know, compete with the Englands and, and the Wales and Scotland. So I think that last year at school gave me a, an awful lot of confidence, and um, sort of take into sort of uh, senior rugby the next year, although. I then had a big decision to make because I went down to Trinity in Dublin mm-hmm. um, to do law. And the, the, the sort of debate was whether to go to, obviously the all Iron League had started at that stage. And the debate was to go to, you know, an AIL Division One club or just play for Trinity. And I was really, really, and looking back on it in hindsight, I'm delighted that I, I took the decision to stay and play for Trinity. Yeah. Um, because it, it you know, that's an opera again, an opportunity you would never it would never come along again. You're playing for your university while you're at Surratt University. But yeah. in a perverse way, even though we were in division four of the All Iron League, it was it was the style of rugby we played with had to throw the ball about because we're students. And I probably got more exposure to learning to run with the ball and, and having the big defenders playing for Trinity and also make a lot of tackles as well <laughs> than I maybe would have done if I'd gone straight to an AL Division One club, so I, I think I think that was also maybe a factor, even though I didn't know it at the time. I think probably a, a factor in helping me develop as a as a player. Yeah, and say in terms of there, there must have been a point where you had to make the decision whether to pursue rugby or continue with your legal career. Yeah. Was that was that a very clear sort of black and white decision, <laughs> or was it? Uh, did you have to have to think very carefully? I suppose the money wasn't there in rugby yet, and stuff like that. Yeah, you had to think about something you worked hard towards. Well, I, I, again, I suppose I, I was lucky. You know, back to so was the school having sporty parents, having two brothers. Again, I was I, I was lucky, very lucky in a way, Peter, and that you know I'd already started playing for Ulster when I was amateur. Um, I, I was offered, you know, one of the, you know, in, in the first year of professionalism, I was offered a full time contract, but it was also the year that my undergraduate degree finished. So for me, it was a very easy choice, and I'm a, a very lucky position in that I could, I could sort of, I had my degree done, and I could sort of put the law career on hold, give rugby a go. I thought maybe, you know, I'd get a year or two out of it, and I end up getting what six or seven. So I mean, I. I I didn't expect to get that at the start, but timing-wise, it couldn't have been better. Yeah. You know, if I'd have been three, four years PGE at that stage, would I have gone back and, and jacked that in to, to become a professional rugby player? I don't know if I would have. So, so again, you know, it's the right place, right time. You know, and and I'm quite lucky as it, as it was to be there at that stage. So you would have been that '99 season. You're 24. Is that right? You're, uh, so. I need to work this out. Yeah, uh, your your mas is very good. You're quite <laughs> yeah. Twenty four. So you were there for. You graduated 
And then there's a couple of years where you're sort of building up towards this historic moment in Ulster rugby history, right? yeah. so 1999. So it's sort of what we always hark back to is, as we want to get to the top level in Europe again in Ulster. Anyway, I want to talk a wee bit about the journey to get there, the, the yeah. team, what made that team special. Speaking to Mark Blair, actually, Mark Blair did a podcast as well. He's he's great, a like, really nice guy. And, <laughs> uh, Blair, Blair's with some mom, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's great. Like he was, uh, he was dead keen to, to chat away. And, I um, bet he was. <laughs> and tell you how good he was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so he, he was sort of telling me a wee bit about sort of what what made the squad special, in your opinion. Tell me a bit, a bit about some of the personalities involved in that squad. You had guys coming back, uh, I'd like to say uh, David Humphreys coming back over, Johnny Bell, who obviously centered you, uh, sorry, partnered you at center. Yeah. What were the impact of those guys? Tell me a bit more about the squads, what made it special, because it was a great squad looking back. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I suppose as you said, I mean, you've probably hit a very important point there. I think we had, a combination of the nucleus of a team who had played together during the amateur days. And rugby was obviously slightly different then. It was more, there was more drink involved and, and, and more socialising. And you had a, quite a tight-knit bunch of guys, you know, who, who got on very well together. And then you had the influx of the likes of, you know, Humph, Dinger, Alan Clark, Blairzo um, coming back from across the water. And I think what they brought was a different perspective, a more professional perspective, you know, in terms of training, in terms of how to prepare for games, et cetera. So we already had the nucleus of a very, very good team spirit. Um, plus, we those guys came in and brought that more sort of professional edge to the training and the game preparation. But at the same time, they were still, you know, they were still, what would you say, you know, local guys, and even like I think of Simon Mason and Justin Fitzpatrick as well. You maybe see as the two in Verticom's overseas players. I mean, Macy and, and 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 Fitzy were very much you know part of the squad from day one. They weren't you know seen as anything different to that. And obviously, they, they had a number of caps for Ireland. So we, we had a very very sort of we had a very tight knit squad already and it was only enhanced actually by the guys coming in um, from across the water. And in terms of that build up, there's obviously, it took a while to get there. You had uh, English teams who were, uh, to all intents and purposes, uh, professional. In fact, I think they were, they were ahead of us. What was it like? What was the gulf between, you know, Ulster at that time, maybe 1997, 1998, and these English teams like the like the Wasps or whoever who were just handling English internationals. I mean, the, the difference was huge. Two, two games spring to mind immediately when I think about how far behind we were. And the first game was against Cardiff at Cardiff Arms Park, which was it was actually the first ever Ulster's first ever European Cup game, and I think it was on a Friday night. Um, but it was certainly a nighttime game. Um, and we went over to Cardiff, you know, flew over in a shorts 360 or whatever it was, you know, in the morning of the game, dandered about Cardiff City Centre during the afternoon, trucked up on the pitch. And, and at that stage, Cardiff, you know, were pretty much semi-professional. We were completely amateur and they just completely blew us away. And I was on the left wing that day. And I think 
I touched the ball twice. Um, once I got absolutely emptied. The second time it was an up and under that I dropped in front of their main stand and got absolutely roasted. <laughs> that was my contribution to the first ever, um, also the first ever European Cup game. And then the second game I remember, which I think maybe was in 97, was Wasps away at Selhurst Park, QPR's ground. Yeah. Where again, they put 50 points on us and it was just, it was, it was actually, I think Kenny Logan might have got a, he certainly had three tries, if not four tries that game. And it was just embarrassing. They were, they were so much bigger, faster, more skillful, more professional. I mean, it was, we were, it was like boys again. I mean, it, it's such a cliche, but it was boys against men. And it was, it, it was actually, it was one of those ones where we were so happy to get off the pitch at the end. And it's, it's interesting just that we had, uh, obviously, that, that period. And then we came through that. Having having been through that, do you think that strengthened the squad? Do you think it raised standards among you as players and, and obviously the management as well? You decided, look, we're no yeah. longer going to structure our training around uh, it's the amateurs. It's now a professional thing. Yeah, the guys are going to have to structure their days around us. Yeah, well, I, I think I think you're right again, Peter. I think it's a combination of factors. I think with anything, if you've consistent exposure to a level greater than your level, you know, you're going to, you're going to steadily improve. And there'll be, a, I mean, as long as you do the right things, it'll going to be a matter of time before, you know, you're pushing on to get to the level that's, you know, maybe two or three rungs ahead of you. So you're not going to get better by playing against teams that are inferior to you. And yeah. at that stage, there weren't many teams <laughs> that were inferior to us in the European Cup. Um, so, but you know, by, by playing against those teams who were better, who'd maybe, who had been in inverted commas professional long before we had it, it you had to improve your your own performance levels or else it was just going to be embarrassing so i, I think that sort of helped to bring you along as, as we said earlier the influx of the likes of humph dinger alan clark macy justin fitzpatrick you know coming back from across the water you know he'd been you know he'd been in the middle of that and been exposed to it as opposed to just playing against it and being in you know, on the other side of it. I think that obviously yeah. happened as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, a, a combination of factors, I would have thought, helped to sort of put us in a position where in 99, you know, we were, you know, in with a shout of doing something reasonably well. Now, did we, did we think at the start of the year we we're going to win the European Cup that year? I don't think anybody really genuinely believed, if, if they're being honest, that we're going to win the Cup. I think particularly when we, we conceded two tries in the first five minutes to get him bread home in the first game with about, with about 500 people watching. But um, yeah, from there, from going from there, you know, a momentum, you know, we, we gradually built up a bit of momentum um, to the degree where we, by the time we got to the final, you know, there was no way that Clomier were ever going to win that game. Um, yeah, but yeah. you say that, that didn't just happen from the Edinburgh game. That was over the course of a couple of seasons previously. You know, and learning from the teams that were two or three levels ahead of you a couple of years ago, learning from the guys, you know, were coming back from across the water as well. So, yeah, it, it didn't just happen that season. It, it, it had some of the beatings we got in the two or three years beforehand were instrumental in getting us to the position where we ended up winning the cup. Yeah. And uh, just to reflect a wee bit on the actual day itself, so that. That, that day in Dublin, so I was in the crowd myself. I was, I think I was nine 
Oh, make me feel good. I could barely see what was happening on the pitch. It was too small. <laughs> but uh, I do remember the atmosphere and everything. And it was, there was a huge buzz around the place. It was like, I think everyone, probably, I, probably I didn't realise at the time that this is such a historic moment. Yeah. It's, it's like one of those things whenever you, you sort of start supporting a team who are, who are successful, you think this is, this is going to happen every year. <laughs> but of course, <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't. It didn't. But um, yeah, so in terms of like how you were feeling before the game, were you, was it nerve-wracking playing from the so many people? Or as you say, was it not a foregone conclusion, but the momentum playing in Dublin, yeah, all these things played in your favour. Yeah. What, was, what was your... What was sort of your, what was the atmosphere before the, the game? Yeah, well, well, I think, you know, talking of nerves, I mean, certainly, I mean, I know personally, I mean, I was certainly nervous before playing Toulouse in the quarterfinal and Stade Francais in the, in the semifinal. Because um, they both, I mean, they were the two top French teams at that stage. And you knew if they really got their act together, they, they could, you know, and it clicked for them that they could absolutely destroy you. So you knew you had yeah. to be up in the game. The other thing was you were playing, again, at home, you know, in both those games. And I always felt more pressure playing at Ravenhill with, you know, with the home crowd there. So I think once we came through those two games, there wasn't that degree of nerves or pressure for the final. And that might sound odd because it was obviously, you know, in front of 40-odd thousand people, you know, I, I suppose live and TV, all the rest of it, and and the enormity of the thing, trying to win the cup for the first time, you know, for an Irish province. So, strange thing to say that I, I don't think, uh, as a team and as a squad, there were no real nerves. I mean, I could be talking out of turn here, but my sort of re- recollection is that nobody was really nervous at all. Um, and I remember gathering, you know, for a meeting about maybe half ten, eleven, um, in the hotel, and sort of looking out the window and already at that stage there were huge crowds of Ulster people you know I'd obviously come down the day before maybe even three days before um but you just got a sense of it was a real sense of support you know and a real positive sense from from everybody being there not the sense that you were nervous because there were so many people wanting you to win so it, it was it, it was an absolutely I think that sort of build up to the game you got the nerves out of the way by winning the quarterfinal of the semi. You were just really looking forward to the game. And then, I mean, I suppose one thing I'll never forget. The two things I'll never forget are coming down out of the hotel to get the bus on the way to the game. And, you know, having to literally fight your way through all the supporters in, in the foyer of the hotel. And then, I suppose the next thing after that was, you know, linking arms before the kickoff. And going over to, to, to the stand and, and sort of raising the arms up. And I can't remember, somebody will know, but I can't remember whose idea that was. But it was a, I mean, it was a fantastic idea. And it really, again, sort of cliche time, but it was like hair in the back of the neck stuff. You know, your hair was just standing up when yeah. the, the, the roar came back. And again, no nerves, just a real sense of, listen, we're going to, this is brilliant. You know, everybody wants us to do. Not maybe on like a best man speech at a wedding. You knew everybody was there. To want you to win, they want you to win, they want you to do well. So it was, yeah. that was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no, I wish I didn't experience nerves before best man speech, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll bear that in mind for, for if I ever have to do one again. Um, 
So in terms of the game itself, like you had a tough time in that game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and not, not in terms of performance, but in terms of injury and fair play to you. Uh, you, you like a warrior played on. <laughs> tell, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so I suppose the incident itself, um, I, I don't have too much in the way of recollection of the incident itself, but in, in very broad terms, um, they did a short line out on one of their um, uh, back row players. It took like a short line between their two centres and went in between myself and Johnny Bale. And we both went to tackle him. And how in that tackle, Johnny ended up, Johnny, the top of Johnny's head hit me in the left hand side of my face and I ended up fracturing the cheekbone in a couple of places and the eye socket as well um, and obviously suffered concussion as a result as well. Now that was about I think somewhere between five and ten minutes into the game um, and I managed to make it on or keep going till half time but <laughs> very little <laughs> very little memory of what happened between minutes sort of five and 40. Um, other than, yeah. I, I think I've I managed to drop the ball once and I think Jim Neely uh, on commentary said something along the lines of Jan Cunningham nerves clearly getting to him. And <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've taken Jim to task about this subsequently and said, Jim, it wasn't nerves, it was the fact I couldn't bloody see. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't see, probably didn't really know where you were at the time. As well. <laughs> no, exactly, probably, exactly. probably didn't help. So, <laughs> fair play. So it wasn't, it wasn't a sense of, you know, it's amazing, fair play day for playing on. Was it, do you think? I suppose in this day and age, it'd be a HIA or whatever. Yes. Was, yeah. it, was, it, was it a case of, I'm going to stay on regardless, or was it a case of, I don't really know where I am. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, was it a brave decision or it was a stupid one? Yeah, I'm going to go for the latter. I, I, would, <laughs> I would never categorize her. Describe myself as the bravest guy in the world. So it would have to be by process of elimination here. I would have to be gross stupidity. But um, I, mean, I mean, to be fair, even at that stage, I mean, I know I, I, we were having a joke about it. And, and I mean, it, rugby's moved on so far for, from those days. And you're quite right. You know, it, whilst we're having a joke about it now, I mean, it, it wouldn't happen in this day and age. And, you know, it is massively important. Um, that players' safety, particularly you know, with injuries to the head, is protected. And I think rugby does seem to have got itself, you know, pretty well sorted out. Now, obviously, there have been some tragic, you know, tragic, um, you know, issues over the years, and a couple obviously in, in Ulster. Um, but I think as a whole, rugby does, you know, it does have its uh, its uh, what would you say? house in order in terms of yeah. that injuries. Yeah. And yes, I mean, listen, you know, it, it wouldn't happen this day and age. Um, you wouldn't be allowed to, to, to play on. But yeah, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully I did. And I was able to make some small contribution, even if it was just dropping the ball <laughs> to, 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 to the victory. But so, but you played a lot in the build-up. Like you're one of the mainstays in that team from uh, and actually shifted around a lot of different positions as well yeah, so yeah. um uh, in terms of in terms of positionally what was your what was your favorite position you obviously you had center wing and, and fullback as well so. yeah i mean i suppose growing up and when i played sort of representative rugby um at school it was always fullback 
Um, you know, fullback would have been my favourite position, but probably the best rugby I played was in the centre. Um, yeah. And at that stage, I mean, I know the Ulster guys, the regular players don't really play much. What would you say, club rugby anymore? I mean, rugby suppose Ulster is their club now. At back at that stage, we still played a lot of, you know, club rugby, AAL, Division One rugby, and that sort of stuff. And probably the best, you know, the the best rugby I played for a season was maybe in the centre for Ballymena one year. Um, you know, so whilst fullback would have been my favourite position in terms of if I had a choice, where would you want to play? Probably the best position is outside centre. Um, yeah. Although yeah. most of my caps for Ulster were on the wing, but I'd say probably what what was I best at? I was never really, you know, probably one of the reasons I never quite made it, you know, an international setup was it was probably never quite just quite quick enough, you know, for for the wing. Um, whereas at outside centre, I would I would have been quick for an outside centre, but average for a wing in terms of pace, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and see, in terms of talking about Ireland there, like. Do you have any regrets looking back? You're playing in that, you know, Brilliant Ulster team. Do you have any regrets and think, oh, I could have played, do you know, at the highest level? Do, uh, yeah. or, and do, do you look back and go, I could have done any more? Or is it just a case of, look, it wasn't wasn't to be? Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think could I have done more, Peter, like undoubtedly could have done more. Um, when I look back now and I look at my own sort of, training regime and, and how I looked after myself and my diet and stuff like that. I mean, definitely there are a number of things that the older, the middle-aged Jan Cunningham would have gone back and told the 22-year-old when he started playing professional rugby that I would have given myself a few tips and probably would have given myself a better chance of getting the cap. But um, yeah. I thought, I'll tell you a story about, actually, I, I sat on the bench just once for the senior Irish team. Um, and uh, it was a friendly against Canada. And myself and Kevin Maggs were sort of battling it out for sort of the, the last position in, in the back line. And we trained during the week and then the team was picked. He got it. And I was on the bench covering the sort of outside backs. And we were sharing a room together. And uh, Maggs, he said, listen, or we made a deal. And we made a deal and said, whoever gets picked, you know, will will come down at some stage or come off near the end to make sure the other guy gets on and gets a cap because this was back in the day before you had subs uh, aside from injuries so about about 10 minutes from the end of the game Magsy went down and I thought happy days he's keeping his part of the bargain I was down it was the matches at Lansdowne Road he came down off uh, off the seat I was on the side of the pitch tracks it off in a flash and then the physio goes on gets him back up to his feet and he plays on <laughs> so <laughs> Maxie, what about our deal? You went, you did everything right except you didn't come off. And he'd actually got a bang to his head, <laughs> and and he couldn't remember playing. He couldn't remember. He couldn't remember playing the last ten minutes. So, so that was the closest I ever got. And uh, yeah, never made it. Never made it. Back. Uh. Oh, well, that's his. That's his story anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I was. I look, I, I was very lucky. I played for the Irish Sevens team for a couple of seasons. Yeah. And the Sevens team at that stage was basically anybody who wasn't involved, anybody who was fully contracted, who wasn't involved in the Irish team or the Irish A team. Um, I had played the A team for a few years, but at that stage I wasn't on it. 
So I, I got picked for the Irish Seven squad and got round the world, played in Dubai, played in the World Cup Sevens in Argentina. Um, and Hong Kong Sevens. So, I mean, that was, I mean, in terms of highlights in my career, uh, playing in the Sevens team, you know, over the course of a couple of seasons was, was definitely a highlight. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, like, the, the chance to travel and, and that's, yeah. having spoken to a lot of players, like, that's one of the huge bonuses of being a rugby player that like you see in yeah. the world. You're, you're traveling with your mates and, uh, and playing a game you, you love. So, just to, just to touch on the, you obviously had a number of years in your career left after the final. Yeah. Reached to 2003, Alan Solomons was a coach, and you get released. What was that? Was that a shock to you? Was that something you'd been sort of planning for to move back into the law, or how did that? Yeah, how did that come I mean, I suppose, I, I suppose a couple of. Things. I mean, I hadn't played an awful lot the course of that season, um, although, funnily enough. Um, I, uh, I played with, with a few injuries and I played against Barretts away in a game that we were we expected to get stuffed in and then lost by a couple of points. And actually, I scored a try in that game in Britain. I think it was the first game Britain and I st- actually started together in the European Cup um, context. So it was great to start the game with him. But that was... That was the only game I think any of any magnitude that I started that particular year. So I knew the writing was on the wall, and and Alan Solomon's like ourselves, Peter, a fellow solicitor. Um, at the time, I didn't think it was the best advice ever, but looking back on it, it completely was the best advice. And the, you know, he he brought me in and he said, "Listen, you know, essentially you're you're a squad bit part player. You're not going to be you know a starter next year." Um. You've got a law degree. I suggest it's time you, you sort of, to paraphrase what he said, you're delaying the inevitable. Get back, fall back in your law degree. You know, qualify as a solicitor. You know, and, and don't put it off. You know, any further. And this at the time it was very difficult to take, but looking back on it now, he was completely spot on. And, and I think the other thing I sort of I respect and admire him for is you know as a as it was a business owner now. You know those sort of conversations are the most difficult conversations to have, and he was he was very very, you know, frank and honest with me. And and uh, you know, at the say at the time, I can't say I was particularly jumping jumping for joy, but it, it was certainly it was it was the right advice, and it was a difficult yeah. thing, difficult conversation for anybody to have to let somebody go. But it was it was the right thing to do from his perspective. Yeah. And looking back on it now, it was it was the right time for me to to get out as well. Yeah, and how did you actually manage that transition out of the game? So, uh, for you, it may have been a smoother transition. You knew exactly what you were yeah. going to go back yeah. to. But you're essentially, as, as you're just saying a minute ago, like you're traveling the world, you're doing what you love. And as much as I'm sure you enjoy your job now, it must have been, <laughs> hard. <laughs> it must have been hard to go into an office. And uh, the contrast between those two lifestyles, how hard was that to adjust? It was, it was ridiculously hard because, it, as you know yourself, Peter, from like doing your, your, your apprenticeship, I mean, you're very much bottom of the food pile. Um, and I think adjusting, as you say, you, the, physical, the physical side of things that you were training, you know, constantly, you know, twice a day during the week, you had the big games. So you, you were in really good physical shape despite all the injuries and, and going from there to sort of sitting in an office nine to five 
was very, very difficult to take, but also the sort of mental, sort of emotional side of things. We had those highs, you know, of, of scoring tries in big games to, to being, <laughs> you know, being passed files by the secretaries. And, and, I, I, and another story I have to tell is um, I, I was walking through town, through Belfast one day, and I was at that stage still doing my apprenticeship, and I was like the designated postboy. So I bumped into a guy who was who should remain nameless, who was a few years ahead of me at school, um, hadn't seen each other for a while, and he said, "Oh, hi, John, how, how are you getting on? You know, what are you up to?" Um, and I said, "Yes, I'm. I'm uh, just delivering the post here for Miller McCall Wiley." And I said, "How about you?" And he said, "Well, I've just been made partner of a." Of a large commercial law firm in town, so it, it, it made me <laughs> let's just say it made me feel slightly inadequate. But like, I think, look again, looking back on it now, I mean, I, I've I've been a sort of one firm person, and you know, I was very lucky to get a chance to get an apprenticeship with Miller McCall Wiley. Um, and I think what's been very, very helpful for me is. You know, spending that time being the apprentice and being the dog's body and getting to understand how our firm works, you know, from the bottom up, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I find that very, very helpful um, in terms of, you know, now sort of, you know, being there in a partner role and, and having, you know, an input in the management of the firm. Um, I think being, being at that sort of bottom rung gets you to understand you know how the firm works uh, as a whole so yeah yeah again again so it was yeah I, I was lucky in that um peter mccall who's the mccall of miller mccall wiley um he's mark mccall's older brother oh okay yeah and the sort of banger connection there so he sort of knew me i played cricket with peter and then da miller is davy miller who played for ulster and dungannon so again, there was a long way. So I, like the, the, the guys were very lucky, and they took a bit of a punt on me, um, even though I didn't have you know much work experience and like that. So again, Peter, I have to say, like very lucky to to, to get a, a a place in in a firm that you know was going in the right direction at that stage, and, and thankfully has continued to go in the right direction. Yeah, no, it's a it's it's a great firm, and in terms of your connection to rugby now, like. Um, do you still follow Ulster? Do you still go to games? And do you still like take a real uh, interest? I know you're connected. Do you do, do yeah. some legal work and stuff for them? But yeah, uh, would you sit and watch all the, all the games and keep on top of everything that's happening in Ulster? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go to every home game, but I go to most home games. And any home game, I'm not going to. I'd watch on TV. Um, yeah. And and obviously, I mean, first and foremost, Peter, like like you. You know, I grew up watching Ulster. You know, and, and you know, going to, uh, you know, I remember the game where you know Chipper Rainey got the kick from the, you know, kick from the touchline to to, to beat. Well, was it to beat Australia? I think it was to beat Australia that, that, that particular game. So, well, I say I remember it. I clearly don't remember it. But um, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, regardless of, of my playing career, you know, I, I I I'm a fan. You know, so you know, I still you know go to as many games as I can. Obviously, Bryn's still involved there, so there's a family connection. As you say, you know, I do some legal work for, for the branch as well, um, for Ulster Rugby as well. So, you know, I'm very closely connected to, to the Ulster setup. And yeah, I mean, listen, any game that's going, I would, I would, uh, I would watch it. 
Yeah, and sort of the, the sort of final thing I wanted to ask you about is, is sort of Ulster now, and like they've obviously been through a bit of a dark period there, a couple of seasons, um, and then Dan McFarland has come in and really changed yeah. things, and well, I suppose um, uh, the whole management structure there has to be given credit for that. The atmosphere around Ulster has changed. Um, in terms of how you think Ulster, this is a really, really tricky one, but... <laughs> As someone who's won the European Cup, how do you think Ulster can compete at the top level in Europe again? In your day, we had a number of guys come in and bolster that team. Now mm-hmm. we have a bunch of guys coming largely from Leinster to, yeah. to Ulster. In terms of where we need to strengthen or what we need to change, is there anything you can put your finger on as to what Ulster need to do to get that very top level? Again? Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think first things first, you know, watching Ulster... I suppose maybe the second half of last season and the first half, which has been the only part of this season, you know, because it's obviously been curtailed. I, mean, I think it's really, really clear that they're being really well coached. I mean, I think you can see the progression and the style of rugby they're playing. But also, I think one thing that that I thought, thought had maybe crept into Ulster's game was complacency is maybe the wrong word, but, but maybe a lack of desire. You know, and, and that is something... I, th- I think the two things go, you can be coached and you give the best skill set in the world, but if you don't have that hunger and desire, you're not going to do very much. And that means, you know, if you're defending, you've made a tackle, you're getting back up off your feet, you're back in the defensive line. If you've been tackled and you're attacking, you're getting back and you're another option again and you know, in attacking the second and the next phase and the phase after that. And I think that had, that real intensity had drifted away a wee bit um, from Ulster's game. And I think, there's two obvious changes. One, I think that the, co- the coaches have improved skill sets massively, but I think that sort of desire, that hunger is back a wee bit again. I, I can see it. I can see it in the players. That, you know, that, that they're going that extra mile, whether it's in defence or attack. And I think if you have those two things, you've got you know, enhanced skill levels to the, the coaching. You've got um, that desire um, and that hunger you know, to keep working, whether it's in defence and attack, plus ally to a good team spirit, which by all accounts there is at the minute, you know, and have a wee bit of an inside line into that. And again, a lot of that filters down from the management and the coaching structure. Yeah. And I think that they've got, uh, maybe slightly biased here, but got, <laughs> there's a very good management and coaching structure in place, you know, from Johnny Petrie down. I think Johnny's done a fantastic job. Um, you know, and Bryn's there in terms of you know um, recruitment retention of players, those two guys you know and the, the coaching sort of setup as well. I, yeah. I think the coaches seem to have a good dynamic. They seem to get on very well, and I think that filters down to the players. And you can see again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but you, know, I I think they're genuinely enjoying playing rugby. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's so important, genuinely. Yeah, like, massively. I, mm-hmm. I haven't, yeah, I haven't spoken to a number of the guys. There seems to be positivity around the, the squad now, which yeah. hadn't been there before, which is great to see. And yeah. um, there's not only have we brought in quality players in the form of like Marty Moore and uh, Jordy Murphy could see is there as well. Billy yeah. Burns has been great. Yeah, we've got guys coming through more locally as well. So the like, so one one player I'd like your opinion on actually, Stuart McCloskey. So obviously <laughs> played in that position. Um, in terms of Stuart, one of my proudest moments 
is I had a, dis- a disagreement with Brian O'Driscoll on Twitter about whether McCloskey should be in the Ireland squad. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was just happy he acknowledged my existence. But <laughs> in, in your opinion, is Stuart McCloskey there? Should he be playing regularly? It's obviously not directly relevant right now with everything that's happening. But do you think uh, Stuart McCloskey and uh, do you think he he could be? playing at inside centre for Ireland. I know you're biased because you're both from Bangor, but... Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, I've, I've talked to a few people about, about Stuart, and I mean, my view is, I mean, over the last 18 months, so I suppose if you take last season and, and, and this season, I, I think it's hard to look past anybody else, you know, within Ulster, and even within the, the, the Pro 14, who's had a bigger impact yeah. than Stuart. You I mean, the amount yeah. of metres he makes... The line breaks. I think again, he is shown that he's not a one-trick pony. You know, he's not just a guy who you use to to crash the ball up and play off. He he can he can pass off both hands. You know, he set up a couple of tries with kicks through. He, he is genuinely you know an, an all-round player now, and you know I, I think he has been very unlucky. I think he was unlucky not to go to the World Cup. Um, yeah. I, I I presume again, I don't know. But I presume, you know, there is obviously a, a big competition for centres at the minute. Um, you know, you've got Henshaw, Bombay, Key, um, Ringrose. And then I presume it was probably between Stuart and, and Farrell for that last spot. And, and Farrell's obviously an Ulster man, you know, from, from, from birth as well. But um, I think, to be fair to, 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 to Chris Farrell, I think, um, I, I do think it's Stuart was very, very unlucky not to make the World Cup squad. Very unlucky. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you there. I'm glad you're backing me up on that one. So if you could weigh in, if I get in a Twitter argument with O'Driscoll, <laughs> if you could weigh in, I think you have a bit more credibility than me, probably. Well, no, 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 I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. But no, I mean, like, I, the thing is, when you look at him and you say, what, you sort of go, well, what more can he actually do? And he, he can't yeah. do an awful lot more. And I think yeah. he is very unlucky. And that you've had a number of very good centres about, you know, at one time. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Henshaw, when he's fit, is, is a world-class player. I think Ringrose is as well. Bundy Key, maybe not quite as rounded as those two, but still a, a very difficult guy to play against. And, and Farrell's no, you know, slouch either. So he, yeah. he, he's been very, you know, he has been, he has been unlucky in that there's been a lot of very good players in his position about at the same time. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So I think you know he, he might get his chance. I think players like McCloskey, you can get a reputation early on in your career. I think for him, he had that, as you say, he's maybe seen as being a bit one-dimensional. But I think he's improved so much oh, over, over the past few seasons, uh, and massive. full credit to him yeah. for that. Um, in terms of young players coming through, is there anyone at Ulster that you think stands out in particular? Like we've got a number of guys, but is there anyone you think is going to be the next big? Thing? Yes, well, my, my, my great mate um, Jimmy Tobing will have a laugh at this because um, uh, we have an ongoing joke with Jimmy about this. But um, Robert Balakun, um, he came through the sevens um, sort of setup, and Jimmy Tobing, who I played with back in the day for the Irish sevens. Is you know has been coaching over the last number of years, um, and I mean Jimmy first sort of mentioned Balakun to me, and I just think he is an absolutely fantastic player. I think he's got yeah. so much ability, and I, I'm just really he excites me when I watch him play. Um, yeah. 
and for somebody, I know he's quite tall, but he, he's he's not particularly heavily built, and he throws himself about. You know, yeah. you know, I I think he, he, he took a wee while to find his feet um, from a positional point of view, mm-hmm. both in attack and defence. But I I just see him getting better and better and better with each game, and he's got one thing, which not many people have, and that's raw pace. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I I I hope. Uh, I hope I'm right, um, but I, 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 if he stays injury free, um, I could see Robert getting a, a number of caps for Ireland over the next couple of years, and I would love to see that. Yeah, no, the lads in the the seven circuit stick together, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> seven solidarity. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're right. Like he's he's been amazing, and he he has something of Tommy Bowe about him. I think he's that sort of wiry, sort of quite yes. tall. Yeah. Uh, you can just see him. Uh, hopefully, he progresses to that level. Uh, do you know, I think he's, he's huge, huge potential. Huge Mike, Mike, Mikey Lowry as well is another one. I thinks class. Uh, it's hard to figure out where exactly he's going to play, though. Whether he's better. Yeah, I mean, to, to totally agree. I mean, in terms of you know skill set and, and being an all round footballer, I mean, he, he's absolutely he's good. He's fantastic. Um, and you know, he, the thing about him as well, similar to Robert Balakun is. I mean, obviously different body shapes, um, but he's not afraid to throw himself about. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and sort of to his detriment because I know he's he suffered a couple of head injuries because he has, you know, maybe tackled big second rows when they're on the charge. So I mean, um, like again, in terms of his skill set, in terms of what he can bring to the game, like fantastic, fantastic sort of ability. As you say, it's about slotting him into the right position, and I, yeah. I. I just I don't know what that position is. Whether it's, you know, whether it's out half, outside centre, for example, fullback. I I just don't know. But you know, yeah. I mean, certainly. Um, I I just hope for his sake, his sake, he can stay injury free over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to see him and James Hume combine at ten and twelve. Yeah, that would be a great partnership. But uh, would they? Great, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll wait and see what happens. And just I thought I think a good way to round it up. Uh, we talked about young players there. You were talking about maybe giving your younger self advice earlier. Yeah. So if you, if you were if you were to go back and give yourself advice, this is a tricky one. Yeah. <laughs> you're, say you're you were going back to give yourself in your twenty one, yeah. you're a young rugby player. What advice would you give yourself? I, I, I controversy. I'd probably say maybe uh, drink slightly less, and that's <laughs> alcohol, not um, not water. Um, but but I think I think the main thing that I neglected. Um, during my rugby career was, I think there was an overemphasis on maybe doing heavy weights yeah. um, and, you know, sort of deadlift, squat and bench press. And I, I, I would have sort of get into that sort of gym culture a wee bit and, you know, mm. trying to lift too much. And, and what I completely neglected was um, flexibility. Um, and I think if I could change one thing um, in terms of physical preparation, I would go back and I would actually learn, you know, I would sort of enroll in yoga classes, and I know yeah. that I know that there is a big emphasis on that now, but there wasn't back back in back in my day, and I think I could have, you know, I could have played at a, a probably a higher level, and potentially gave him a career if if it had focused more on flexibility. Yeah, that's a really really good good one because uh, I haven't spoken to a few of the guys, particularly guys who who have since retired. Ferris is a good one where. He's, he's so massive. Yes. And I, don't, I don't know, maybe he did do flexibility exercises and stuff like that in yoga, but I think guys, when it, modern game is going so much that way. 
yep. or being massive and just running into people. I suppose back in the day, people actually tried to avoid each other <laughs> playing rugby. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, to, to prolong your career, you have to do something. Um, Ryan Giggs is a good example. I know it's a different sport. Yeah, like, but I was going to say, Giggs is a man you were. Man, you were always my team, so I, I had a lot of time for for gigs. Yeah, uh, my favourite Man U player was actually Keith Gillespie. Um, I don't know if you remember if you remember Keith Gillespie. Yeah, well, I just did the Northern Irish connection. So, I, uh, yeah. So, so I funny. I, I played in the same. Um, it, it, Keith Gillespie was my year at school. Oh, no he, way. He, he was a really good rugby player. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, he was like at that stage. He's already brilliant at football, so um, he he sort of went off and, and, and did the football thing. Yeah. But we, we we played in the same football team for a while, and I was on the left wing, and he was on the right wing. And yes, uh, I, I remember going to the coach and saying, "Coach, I never get the ball. Why do I never get the ball?" <laughs> he was well. Keith Gillespie's in the other wing, and he's better in one foot than you are in both. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why you never get them. And that was actually that was the end of my football career. <laughs> right, right there. <laughs> Well, to be fair, Keith Gillespie, by all accounts, was one of the most talented of that sort of generation coming yeah, through. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. Apparently, that's whole Beckham that the Fergies, the, the, those guys at Fergie brought through, you know, when they were sort of 18, 19, um, Gillespie was as good as any of them. Yeah, of them. yeah. I know. What was he like at school? Yeah, he was a decent, like I said, we, we played in the same football team out, outside of school and played in the same rugby team in school. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I get on. I, I get on very, very well with with, with Keith. He was. A, I, had, no, I haven't seen him in years, but he was. He was a really decent fella. Yeah, oh, that's funny. A year full of sporting talent. Was Karen Dawson as well. Your yeah, Dawson was in. Yeah, he was in. He was in. Um, he was in my year as well. He was quite a late developer. It was only really the last couple of years at school that he really yeah. kicked on. But um, yeah, yeah, it was, we, we had a gift. We, we had actually. I think we had. Three with three guys in our lot here at school who went on to play professional rugby. Look, that's quite, ma- quite rare. And we couldn't manage to beat Dalriada in the semi final. <laughs> it was cup. It is my the, the one thing I will bring with me to my grave because Tony McWhorter never lets me forget about it. No way, that's funny. Like the times, times have changed now. It's uh, it was a different crowd getting into the semis back in the day. Yeah. Banger and Dalriada. Banger and Dalriada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hello. <laughs> Well, here I'm glad to hear you're a United fan as well. So times are improving for us anyway. So I think, I think things are looking up a wee bit. I think your man's yeah. a great signing. He seems like a great signing. Hi, Bruno. Bruno yeah, yeah he, looks like, he looks like a really he looks like a top player. Yeah, so can't wait for all this to to get back and life to return to normal. But until we, we need we need some we need some live sport, Peter. I know. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I know exactly where we're resorting to doing some work. Who's, who's next in your head list? Do you have anybody lined up? So the next person is, it's actually a guy, he, he's brilliant. He's not a rugby player. Though. He's a um, he's a YouTube guy. Have you come across Squidge Rugby? Oh yes, Squidge Rugby, yes. Squidge yeah. Rugby. It's the guy who does Squidge Rugby. He's guy, Robbie. These brilliant videos of analysis. And I think... His analysis is amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to do more of that. And so I'd really like to speak to him for one thing, just to find out a bit more about how he does it and how he got yeah. into it. And uh, yeah, just to hear his view on, on sort of uh, the modern game and stuff like that. So yeah, so we've got a few things a few things planned and uh, let, let us know if you're if you're if you're streaming at any stage. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. Right, thanks John. Appreciate Enjoy it. Your star. Look after okay. you. take care. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.